It is June 1st, 2023, which is kicking off LGBT Pride Month of 2023, and it's a Thursday. And I don't normally do Thursday episodes, but I'm going to this month, every Thursday, God willing, and we're going to do the same thing all month long. We're going to destroy the transgender movement with facts, truth, and God's Word right here each week on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a shiny brand new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister, and I'm not shopping at Target this month. Perhaps never. Have you seen this just outright demonic filth that they are selling at Target lately? (laughs) I know I'm kind of coming out of the gate swinging here. But have you seen this? There's a line of clothing now that's available from Target, and they are marketing it towards children. This is all for Pride Month. It's for their LGBT uh, collection that they're wanting to put out this month. And, And here's what the clothing says on it. These are the phrases that are marketed towards children. Phrases like, we belong everywhere, too queer for here, cure transphobia. You know, these are the slogans they're slapping on clothes and trying to sell to your kids your grandkids, children all over this country, and this clothing line that I'm talking about right now, it's designed by a literal Satanist, okay? A man who openly, very publicly, claims to worship Satan. His Instagram profile picture is a picture of him wearing a shirt. I'm assuming he designed it because it looks just like the Target clothing. A shirt that says, Satan respects pronouns. So guys, we're not shopping we're not shopping at Target this month. Personally, I've barely shopped at Target since 2015. Um, if you'd asked me my favorite supermarket in 2012, 2013, 2014, I would have told you it was Target. But around 2015, they changed their bathroom policy. And ever since they did that, I'm not saying I've never been back there, but my Target usage, it dropped by about 90%. I mean, the city I was living in, they had like three Walmarts anyway, only one Target. I used to go to Target almost exclusively. It's been Walmart for me ever since then. Now it's going to be 100%. And and I'm glad other people are finally jumping on board with this and saying enough is enough. Um, I I stopped in 2015 because they opened their bathrooms to transgenders. You could use whatever bathroom that you wanted. They were one of the first public locations that, that wanted to do that. Um, so it's been a long time since I've been there as a regular customer, but now a lot of other people, ever since they decided to try to sell satanic LGBT clo- LGBT clothing to, to little kids, um, finally other people are jumping on board. So I'd say let's turn Target into the Bud Light of grocery shopping, make it a toxic brand that no sane person wants to be associated with anymore. Um, and by sane, I mean Christian or conservative, because the rest of the country has gone off the rails. But I want I wanted to point out a few things about this ad campaign and about the LGBT movement as a whole for the past few years. Have you noticed they have become more and more openly satanic and more and more openly targeting children? Two things about the LGBT movement that 
again, open openly is the key thing here. I th- I'd say it's always been this way, but now it's openly this way. They've become openly satanic and are openly targeting children. What I'm going to demonstrate today is that this movement, it's actually always been that way. It's always been geared towards kids. It's always been demonic in nature. The only thing that's changed is the word openly about those statements. Now it's all out in the open. Now it's undeniable. But today, and also very much next week, I'm going to show you the whole history of this movement and demonstrate that it's actually always been this way. It's kicking off a five-part series that I'm going to do on Thursdays for the 2023 Pride Month. And so it starts today with transgenderism, a history of evil. Next week is transgenderism, the downfall of our society. Week three is called transgenderism versus the Bible. Week four, choices Christians must make about transgenderism. And then the fifth lesson, uh, the fifth Bible study I'm going to do, it's called Christians and Pronouns. This is still a Bible study podcast. Today is going to be a little bit more heavy on history and research from like the past few hundred years. I'm not going to go into Bible so much today, um, but I feel like this is laying the groundwork for where we're going to go in the weeks ahead. So today I'm really talking about history. If you're not a history person, this is not going to be an interesting lesson for you, but I I do encourage you to tune in because I want you to be an equipped and informed Christian. Uh, Guys, I look at the way this world's going. I just don't feel like we have much time left. Um, I I go into that a lot, so I, I won't belabor that point today. But I just look around. I'm like, I really, I don't know. It, I don't want to be wrong. To be safe, it looks like God might be about to wrap things up on this planet. Five years from now, ten years from now, we could still be here. But in case I'm in case I'm correct in how I'm feeling right now, I'm like, there's some information. I just want Christians. I want to do everything I can to equip Christians and prepare us for what the the last days, the days ahead, they still beyond us, what they could entail. And so I'm just going to do all I can. I'm doing double episodes this month, two episodes a week, because I'm going to try to get this information. I just feel like our time is short. I could be wrong. Uh, I hope I hope we go to all go to heaven soon. I hope the rapture soon. But it, I could be wrong. We could be here another 20 years. It could be more. So I'm with the time I have left, though, I'm going to try to use it wisely and get this information out there. So today it's some information I just think Christians need to know so they can understand where did this all come from? The world's changed so much in the past five or 10 years. We're always all kind of looking around saying, what has happened? Why has everything changed so quickly? Well, it it has been quick. But the seeds for what we're seeing today, these seeds were planted hundreds of years ago, and they are just now coming to fruition. So I think it would be instructive today if if we talked about the, the whole long history of this LGBT movement. That's today. Transgenderism, a history of evil. Yes, it's evil because it's a sin according to the Bible, but it's also, this is very demonically fueled, as we'll especially talk about next week in transgenderism, the downfall of our society, as we talk about some modern manifestations of this evil movement and what's going on, really focusing in on the transgender thing. You know, it's kind of simple with the the LGB part of the acronym. Um, yeah, the Bible's pretty clear right there, you know, those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's, it says it multiple times in scripture. Um, but what's really exploded ever since Caitlyn Jenner and all that in 2015, 2016, what's really exploded the past, you know, several years now is the transgender thing. This is the civil rights movement of our time, uh, which I don't consider it a civil rights movement, but this is how it's being treated. So 
we'll really talk about that in week two. Week three, we get into scripture. Uh, we're going to have scripture all through it, but we really want to talk about this subject of can the Bible be used to defend transgenderism or the idea that a person can be born in the wrong body? We will talk about that and see what scripture has to say about it in week three. Week four, you know, Christians are going to have to make decisions. It's better to make the decisions before you're faced with the situations in which you have to make those decisions. It's better to have already predecided how you're going to handle things. And so week four, I'd like to talk to you about what we as Christians need to do uh, in our personal lives, in our in our churches. You know, we need to have policies in our churches about how we're going to handle it if a transgender person comes in. And yes, we want to show them the love of Christ and hopefully, you know, give them the truth of God's word, but but also, uh, you know, they're, they're not trying to use the bathroom. Which bathroom are you going to let them use? You know, you got to have a you got to have decisions made beforehand, policies in place before. Uh, you don't want to wait and try to decide in the heat of the moment. So we'll talk about that on week four, week five. I'm planning to talk about Christians and pronouns because that's worth the subject matter all to itself. So that's where we're going this month. We're going to cover this transgender thing from five different angles. And we're going to start by going into the history of the movement today. Transgenderism might be something you only started hearing about, like I said, around 2015 or so. Uh, Or before that, we might have called it transsexuals or something like that. But this is not a new thing. Its origins go back hundreds of years. So I'm going to cover the history today. I know this episode is not going to be for everybody. Not everyone likes to hear about history and philosophy and stuff like that. And so this could bore you to death, but if so, just skip it and come back next time. But I do encourage you to learn more about the dark history of this movement because it's going to help you to understand the world around us, this challenging new world that we now all find ourselves in. Well, hey, this is still a Bible study, so let's do some Bible. Psalms 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? What I want to talk about today is that ideas don't just come out, they don't come from nowhere. They don't take hold in society in a day. Ideas are built on foundations. If you destroy the foundations, you change the society. It's not just foundations we're going to talk about today, but premises, ideas that lead to other ideas in a logical way. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and this is this is philosophy 101 for you, but let's All of our beliefs are built on certain presuppositions, certain foundations, certain premises. I'll explain how that works. Let's talk about the creation of man. Some believe that God directly created man. Other people believe that man was created by evolution and that God didn't exist or or had nothing to do with it. And I know there's some people out there who try to mix those two ideas a little bit. I'm not going to get into that today. I just want to talk about the two extremes for a moment. Okay, just bear with me for a moment. Two extreme views. One, that God directly created man. On the other end of the spectrum, those who believe that man was created by uh, evolution that was not, that didn't come from God or that God had nothing to do with, okay? So those are two different foundational ideas that someone could look at the world with. Here's a foundation. I could say, I believe man was created in God's image. And then over here, there's someone standing on a different foundation that says, I believe man evolved through natural processes. Those are two conflicting ideas, okay? So what do you build on that first foundation where you believe that man was created in God's image? You could then also say, well, 
man is distinct from and superior to the animals. And then you could build on that premise. You could build another pillar that says man may eat animals. Man could keep animals as pets. Man could keep animals in a zoo. On and on and on you go. See, these are logical ideas that all logically flow from the foundation that man was created in God's image. Let's go back over to that other foundation for a minute. The one that says that man evolved through natural processes. Well, you might put totally different ideas on that foundation. Now you could put a pillar that says um, man is equal to and the same as an animal. Okay, well, that's a logical idea because if man just evolved like everything else did, there's really nothing that's more inherently special or valuable about man. They just evolved differently. They're just a different type of animal. Okay, here's another pillar you could put on that. Animals have rights just like people do. Here's another pillar you could put on that. They don't deserve to be eaten or kept in cages. Now, see, all those ideas, they flow from that foundational idea about the creation of man, that man just evolved through natural processes. So someone who believes that, they could very easily become a vegan. You know, it'd just be a logical outgrowth of their philosophy that they're standing on. So if for me to go argue with the vegan about the, the concept of veganism, man, I could talk all day with them about why I think it's okay for me to eat a cheeseburger. But I'm not going to get anywhere with them if I'm just talking about up here at the top issues. We need to get down to the core issues, our different foundational beliefs about where man comes from, about where animals came from. If I don't talk about that, I'm not really getting to the root issue of our two different philosophies. I'm wasting my breath because I'm just over here acting foundation or consistently with my foundational worldview. And they're just over there acting consistently with their foundational worldview. Unless I go all the way down to the foundations and talk about what's down there. There's no point in arguing up here about veganism and what we do with it. You know, that doesn't matter. We got to get down to the foundational uh, level and talk about things there. So, all that I'm talking about right here is something called presuppositional thinking. This is a skill that I think is sadly lost in modern times. I think this is why American churches are in the state that they're in. When I say that, I mean why American churches are bleeding members, why they're becoming less and less culturally relevant to society, becoming weaker. Christians don't really have a concept for how ideas are formed. We just kind of assume that everyone out there kind of believes the Bible and we just kind of go along that way. Um, too many Christians just assume that. And so when someone has faulty logic or immoral thinking, you know, then we just kind of write it off. We don't really think about where it comes from. You, you, you know, you hear people say things sometimes that are totally off base and you think, oh, that's just of the devil. You know, you just kind of write it off. Oh, well, that's satanic. Well, that's true. Maybe it is from the devil. Of course, sin is from the devil. But that's not going to do anything to convince your next door neighbor. They don't think they heard it from the devil. They think they heard it from their friends. They think they heard it from a teacher. They think they heard it from CNN or Fox News. More likely CNN. <laughs> but my point is, even Christians, we don't really understand a lot of times where our ideas come from. So if the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous going to do? Well, if you listen to this episode, you will be better equipped to talk about this stuff. Okay, here's some, one more thing I want to look at from the Bible that's going to guide our research that we're looking at today. Second Peter 2 verse 1, Peter warned, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. This is really the idea of all of Second Peter, uh, especially chapter 2, is false teachers and how they bring destruction in where they come. They change truth. They try to change truth. Still talking about false prophets, he says this in verse 17. They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. I mean, these people are just driven by their, their passions, their sensual desires. Verse 19, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Why am I reading these verses about false prophets? And, I, and you could read the whole chapter if you want to see the whole idea. I'm just picking a few verses to make this point. 2 Peter 2 says that one of the ways we can judge a person's ideas is by looking at the lifestyle of the person espousing it. Okay, if, if, if you're hearing some ideas and you're like, oh, these are some interesting ideas. These are some interesting thoughts. Well, if the person saying them is a wicked, disgusting person living a totally immoral life, you don't have to listen to their ideas. You can reject their ideas because they have an evil lifestyle. You don't need to waste your time thinking about whether they're making a good point. Okay, look at the lifestyles of the people that you listen to. So as we talk about some of the thought leaders of the LGBT movement today, even people whose ideas about society or about human behavior, even if their ideas seem harmless, if we just look at their lifestyle, we can reject them on the basis of their lifestyle alone. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, that's, this has all been introduction up to this point, okay? Because we're doing a five-part series here. I really had a lot to say opening this all up. But let's get into it. Let's talk about the different philosophers I want us to study today. Let's talk about a person named Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He lived in the 1700s, okay? Rousseau came up with the idea that all people are basically good inside. That when people do wrong, it's because society forced them to do wrong. Society forced them to act that way, okay? This is different from how the Bible views things. The Bible says our hearts are evil. <laughs> the Bible says that we are impure on the inside, okay? This is kind of the conservative belief that man is kind of bad and that laws exist to keep man in line, to hold us in line, okay? So Rousseau wrote this book called Confessions, and he tells a story, and this story is the springboard for his whole philosophy. So I'm going to tell you about Rousseau's philosophy of life, how he approached life. And as I do it, I think you're going to see how it, this way of thinking has really infiltrated a lot of modern people and even taken them away from what the Bible teaches about the nature of man. So Rousseau was approached by a, a man named Verat. Verat asked Rousseau if Rousseau would help him to steal some asparagus. Verat was very poor. He wanted to sell the stolen asparagus so he could get a little bit of money. Rousseau does this. He helps steal it. And then later on, Rousseau reflects on this experience, that he stole something to help a man who was poor. He realized that he stole out of a feeling of charity for the older man. He was trying to help Verat. And so this whole thing, this self-justification for his theft, this implanted the thought in Rousseau's thinking 
that even when people do evil actions, they still have good intentions for those actions. So basically, man is good. Man is good at heart. Sometimes man makes the wrong choice, but he does it for good reasons. Okay, again, this is different from how Christians understand the world. That we do evil because we desire selfish and evil things. That we are corrupt. It's harder for us to choose the right thing sometimes. So Rousseau introduced this idea that, no, that's not it. It's that man is basically good. And and so Rousseau's ideas have taken root in society over hundreds of years. All right, again, the, the conservative view or the Christian view, the classical view, might say that man is basically bad and that laws keep us in line. But Rousseau thought, what's called Rousseauian thought today, he would say that man is basically good and that the laws corrupt us. You know, and we see this in modern times when there's like a police shooting of a black man and people try to blame the cop for it. And they try to justify the actions of the black criminal just because he's black. They say, oh, well, he was scared. That's why he opened fire on police. The police murdered him by firing back. So see, they've taken the self-defense actions of the police officer and they've reinterpreted them through a Rousseauian lens. This is what the whole BLM, Black Lives Matter movement, this is what they see when they see stores being looted. And then they say, well, it's really not people's fault that they act that way. You know, they're just, they've been pushed around by society for so long. This is them acting out. It's not their fault making excuses for for bad behavior. Or whenever we have more black people in prison, they say, well, it's because our laws, our structure, it's systematically racist. It's our laws that are the problem. See, all that stuff comes from Rousseau. Let's talk about someone else now. Let's talk about William Wordsworth. And he was a poet. And I'm not saying, actually, I don't think this guy was such a terrible guy, but he did have a, he had a very interesting idea he put out there that, that we see, I, I think this is actually a largely correct idea, but we see how, um, the LGBT movement in this country is, is, is taking this and using it. So let me, William Wordsworth, he was a poet. He believed it was through the arts that culture and society has changed, that the artists are the thermostat of culture, not the thermometer of culture. They set the tone and society goes along from that. So Wordsworth was a poet. Wordsworth, uh, or poets back in those, this was also in the 1700s. He lived until 1850. Back then, Poets were, were the thought leaders in society. The uh, and artists, they were, they were considered the great thinkers in those days. It was the pre-modern age. It was a pre-scientific time. If you get to the 1900s, scientific thinking became the norm. You know, people care more about what a scientist would say than what a philosopher or an artist would say. But back in the 1700s, they wanted to listen to people like Leonardo da Vinci or William Wordsworth. So Wordsworth was a poet. And he introduced the idea that uh, it was through the arts that that culture is impacted. And as I said, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Andrew Breitbart, he's famous for saying that politics is downstream from culture. And so that's why Hollywood is such an influence here in the United States of America. Uh, When attitudes on gay marriage started to shift, it's because they had shows on TV like Will and Grace, where uh, they had gay people on it who... We're, we're not a punchline like gay people have been depicted in the past. They were now fully formed personalities, more humanized. And Hollywood used used their, their shows to try to push the LGBT agenda. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres becomes openly gay on TV. You know, these things shape the culture. As I mentioned before, the Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner thing gets on the cover of Vanity Fair, says, call me Caitlyn. This, was, this marked a big shift in society about these attitudes. 
Um, and what I'm saying is William Wordsworth was one of the people who kind of pointed this strategy out. Let's talk about someone else. Percy Shelley lived 1792 to 1822. So not a terribly long time. Percy Shelley was another poet. Again, in this time of, of America, of Western civilization, the poets were the thought leaders. This was a pre-scientific age. Shelley put out this really dangerous idea, said the goal of life is happiness. The goal of life is happiness. That's not a Christian idea. Hey, we want to have joy if you're a Christian, but the goal of our lives is not just to be happy. That's not supposed to be what is our guiding philosophy. Shelley said it was. Shelley said institutions like marriage inhibit happiness. They should be done away with. Shelley said it's time to move on from traditional sexual ethics because they just make people miserable. Freedom from religion, according to Shelley, means freedom to love, to love whoever you want. Does that sound familiar? Shelley was building on the ideas of Rousseau, who had come before him, but Shelley was taking them the next step. And and, and just this, these ideas that all people are good, societies and laws, rules, they just kind of make us bad. And so Shelley comes forward and kind of builds on that, okay, builds on that foundation with a different pillar and says the rules need to change because they are inhibiting our happiness. Let's talk about another influential person who came along. Friedrich Nietzsche lived from 1844 to 1900. Nietzsche is the person famous for saying that God is not real. Wasn't the first atheist in history, but was maybe... (laughs) a very influential person from the modern age, comes out here and says, God is not real. Life has no objective meaning. Therefore, do whatever makes you happy. Because personal satisfaction, that's the only purpose you could ever hope to live for. All people have their own strengths, but you need to develop yourself and excel in order to obtain meaning in your life. Okay? Now, if you start with the premise or the foundation that God is not real, well, then that would be a logical belief. Yeah, if God's not real, then yeah, just do whatever makes you happy. You know, why worry about anything else? That makes sense. That's why a lot of people don't want to believe in God. Because if there is a divine creator, there's a rule maker. And if he has a right to make the rules, then I'm accountable to him. So a lot of people thought this was a very attractive worldview. And it's, it's influenced even, um, there's you know many atheists in the world today um, who look at Friedrich Nietzsche as a hero. That, by the way, I don't have this in my notes, but towards the end of his life, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, he did literally go insane. He was in a mental institution. This man who's famous for saying God is, God's not real, God's dead. He ended up in a mental institution, died in misery and filth. Just so you know, <laughs> Karl Marx he lived from 1818 to 1883. The thing you got to remember with Marx, two of the purposes of this discussion today, because you might say, what does he have to do with the LGBT movement? Well, he, he introduced this idea that you can divide everything in society into two groups, the oppressors and the oppressed. That was his binary way of dividing the world. Okay. And so he fits right in with this genealogy of ideas that we're talking about today. That customs, history, traditions, culture, Marx said all of those things are just tools of the oppressors, that they just use those things, they use culture to try to hold on to their power. 
So therefore, any idea, according to Marx, any idea that holds up the status quo that keeps things the way that they are, you should be suspicious of that, he says. Marx was very cynical. He had no idea how to make money, so he just got upset towards anyone who actually was a wealthy person, and he questioned any authority that was in the world because he said, oh, they're just trying to hold on to their money, hold on to their power. Everything's just a power grab. And so Marx said, it's the oppressed of society, the working man. They're the ones who really know what the truth is. But everyone who's the elites, everyone who's in charge, everyone who's rich, they don't know what's true. They're just trying to hold on to power. Now, I know that's kind of a weird philosophy. Um, We talk about this a lot in uh, episodes 14 and 15 of this podcast, Socialism versus the Bible. I go into all of Karl Marx's history. This was a this was a disgusting man. He lived in literal, literal filth. You know, the, he, he writes this book that that people read today as, as if he's just this genius on economic theory. This was a man who typed this from, from a place that, that his landlord said he lived a disgusting lifestyle. His family believed he was demon-possessed. They thought he was insane. They were suicidal. Um, he had affairs with the... Uh, he had an affair and had a kid with the maid. This was a, he never worked a job in his life. This was a total loser. And yet Marxism is something that <laughs> millions of people uphold and treat as some kind of valuable idea today. Total nut job, total psycho. Might have been demon possessed. Just look at his lifestyle. You can throw out his ideas based on that alone. Let's talk about another influential person in history, Charles Darwin lived 1809 to 1882, basically the same period as Marx. And so Darwin's contribution to the world is that he taught that God is not really necessary to explain life, that everything's just random natural selection built entirely on chance, a process known today most popularly as evolution. Now, Darwin didn't personally say there was no God. He didn't consider himself an atheist. He was not agnostic. He believed in God. He wasn't trying to make the world more atheistic, but his theory of evolution opened the door for many people to reject the idea of God entirely because now they have this scientific theory that doesn't require God anymore to explain the diversity of life on this planet. And so many people have run with this to suggest that humans have no special or significant value. All right, let's talk about another very influential person in the LGBT movement, Sigmund Freud lived in the late 1800s to 1939. Freud built on all these ideas we've been talking about. He built on everything that came before. He said, you don't have to believe in God. Life has no objective meaning. We're all basically good people at heart. And the highest purpose in life is to be happy. But Freud introduced something else into this definition of what it means to be happy. Sexual happiness. He says, you can't really be happy if your genitals aren't happy. So he introduced the idea that humans are sexual from birth and onwards. And he fully believed in the sexualization of children, doing things like dressing prepubescent girls in in revealing dresses. This was Freudian ideas right here. He, He believed that morality was subjective and that it essentially boiled down to personal taste. For example, he he looked at the way people use kissing and toothbrushes. He said, you know, 
a man would probably be fine with kissing a woman, but he would never, ever use her toothbrush. Well, to Freud, that didn't make sense. He said, why would you be in favor of kissing someone but not use their toothbrush? He said, one is just as germy as the other. <laughs> you know, which is kind of, a, kind of a funny thought right there. But see, Freud took this thought and he said, well, that must be how morality works. He must say, it must all just be based on personal taste, not any kind of rules that are out there. And so if morality is taste, then why can't everyone just make up their own morality? So he went from this thing about the toothbrush, which is more about sanitation than anything, and he applied that to morality. He said, you know, I think anybody can just make up their own moral guidelines. So he said, if you have a moral objection to something uh, that's a harmless behavior, something like homosexuality, he said, well, that must be rooted in just personal feelings, personal taste, personal animus, rather than moral absolutes. And so today this idea has been taken to, you know, people try to slap a phobia on everything. They say, oh, well, if you don't agree with homosexuality, you are homophobic or transphobic or, you know, all, all these different phobias that people try to slap on you today. Uh, well, this comes from Freud's idea that, you know, when someone doesn't like a certain sexual activity, um, th th there's, there's really nothing wrong with it. That's just a, that's a problem with the person who doesn't like it not a problem with the activity itself. Freud was an atheist. He thought religious belief was basically a form of wish fulfillment. That whatever you wanted God to be, well, that's just basically what you believed that God was. <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder if he ever applied that idea to himself, that, that he was only an atheist because he didn't want to believe that God was real. Well, so these were Freud's thoughts. These were Freud's contributions to society. And, and, and there was a, I'd say here's a good part of Freud. Freud believed that if society actually followed the things that he threw out, the ideas that he threw out, he said if, if society actually dedicated themselves to only seeking happiness all the time and happiness including genital pleasure, um, he said society would collapse. He said if everyone just tries to make, make themselves happy and just try to, you know, live a sexually fulfilled lifestyle— wow, society would just fall apart if everyone did that. So he was an atheist, but he thought it was probably pretty good that most people believed in God because it kind of kept it kind of kept humanity under some control. It kind of established some guard guardrails that would just ruin humanity if we didn't have them. And so anyway, he thought his own ideas were too radical for society to accept. That's what you see with a lot of these ideas, though. They put the, the premises out there, the pillars out there, and the next generation comes in and builds on those beliefs. So, you know, Freud said, hey, God's not real, but we just need to try to be happy. And you can't really be happy unless you're sexually fulfilled. But guys, we couldn't literally do that because society would just collapse. So he said all this, but as we see, it's the next generation to come along. And what we'll really be talking about on next week's program, next Thursday's program, is that, um, that people have taken these ideas and taken them to their logical but very radical uh, conclusions. So anyway, Freud believed that our desires must be reined in so that civilization doesn't collapse. That the needs of sexual happiness need to be balanced with the needs of a functioning society. So as crazy as he was, at least he had that in there. Um, but listen, Freud is considered the father of modern psychology. You know, when I took Psych 101, it was like one of my first classes in college. It was actually my my first class. I started it in the summer, 
started college in the summer and my first class, Psychology 101, first day, we're learning about Sigmund Freud. So he's the father of modern psychology. The, he's like the the ground level. He, you know, he's that he's that foundational guy. The first person they're going to tell you about in psychology in college. And this and this was a guy. Listen, yes, he was a psychologist. He had a lot of interesting theories. I think they're junk, but he had a lot of interest interesting theories about human behavior. Um, this was also a man who died of throat cancer because he smoked he smoked constantly, and his doctor thought that Freud was so unstable, he didn't tell Freud that he had throat cancer. He said, I was afraid he's going to kill himself if he found out he had cancer. So <laughs> he didn't even want to tell Freud about it because he considered Freud to be so unhinged. And yet this man, Sigmund Freud, Freud, who, who uh, I, don't, I don't remember if he was a drug addict. I think uh, he liked drugs, okay? He liked drugs like cocaine. So he would say, you know, listen, if, if you're not a happy, if you're not feeling a lot of joy in your life, um, just try some cocaine. You know, that'll, that'll bring you some meaning. That'll bring you something to be happy about, excited about. Just take some cocaine. <laughs> that's what, that's where, how Freud, op, that was how he operated. That was the advice that he would give people. He's considered the father of modern psychology. Total nut. <laughs> this is, this is who our textbooks, when you go to college, first day, this is who they're going to tell you to, to listen to. Sigmund Freud, guy, would, and they didn't tell me that in psychology. I learned all that later. I learned about what a what a deviant and atheistic and um, his his interest his drugs of choice. I learned about all that later on my own research. So, but this is who's considered the father of modern psychology. Okay, got a few more people to tell you about, but we are getting closer to being done. Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm Reich was a psychoanalyst and a doctor. And he lived until 1957, so we're in this scientific age now, okay? Used to be that the world listened to poets. Now let's talk about a scientist. We're talking about modernism, okay? Where psychologists are starting to become the thought leaders. And Reich took Freud's ideas, and he took Marx's ideas, and Reich built on them. So Marx divided society up into oppressors and oppressed. Wilhelm Reich took that framework, and he applied it to sex, Basically, he said, our psychological well-being is tied to our sexual identity, and it is supreme over all other identities. Okay, so basically, your sexual identity, what you want to do, what, what, you, what, what kind of sexual behavior you want to do, okay, that's basically the most important thing about you. That was Wilhelm Reich's contribution to society. <laughs> you might not have ever heard his name before, but his ideas are thick today. He said those who ascribe to traditional se sexual ethics, like the Bible, what the Bible says, he says those people are oppressing the people who want to live sexually liberated. Wilhelm Reich believed that we wouldn't have true freedom until the nuclear family was dismantled. He wrote a book called The Sexual Revolution in 1836. The Sexual Revolution became a reality in the 1960s, because you hear about the 1960s, they will often refer to that as the, the time of the sexual revolution. Those ideas that became permeated in society in the 60s, they came from a book written in 1936, okay? Wilhelm Reich also believed that children are sexual from birth, and so he wanted to teach sexual education to children at as young of an age as possible. Again, something we see flourishing in society today.
came from this man who was building on the ideas of the previous people we talked about. Okay. I remember, I mean, we see this. I remember 10 years ago, California starts teaching sex ed to, to kindergartners and first graders. I remember being like, guys, it starts in, this is how things work. They start in California and within a few years, they're in the whole country. They spread across the whole country and they work their way out to where, where I am in the Midwest. And it's, it's happening here now. I just saw, a, I think we'll talk about this next week. I just saw a thing on lives of TikTok on Twitter is about a school in Iowa that had drag queens come and perform sexual dances at a school assembly. This was not at a high school. It was at an elementary school having drag queens come and perform for little kids. Just disgusting stuff going on in our schools today. It started in California 10 years ago. It's here. It's all over the country. It's in towns big and small. If you have a government school, this stuff could happen there. It's everywhere, guys. You got to keep your eye out for it. This stuff came from Wilhelm Reich. Okay? Wilhelm Reich, by the way, he died of fraud. Or Sorry, he convicted of fraud. He was convicted of fraud, and he died in prison. If you just want a little bit of an idea of what he was like. Karl Marx, as I said, he was an alcoholic, lived in filth, suffered medical problems his whole life, which were almost certainly a result of his disgusting lifestyle. He lived in such a disgusting environment. He His family was miserable and suicidal, and they believed that he himself was possessed by demons. Freud, as I said, was so mentally unstable, his doctor thought, I can't even tell him he has cancer. He, he would just kill himself if I told him that. This guy is considered the father of modern psychology. Nietzsche has a mental breakdown, spent the last decade of his life in an insane asylum. All right, look at the lifestyles of the people before you just adopt their ideas. Society's adopted a lot of these people's ideas. These men that I'm talking about today. Society has adopted a lot of their ideas. And yet, look at the lifestyles of the people who came up with these ideas. It's an unenviable ex existence, guys. You don't want to have a life like that. You don't want to follow them down their path. All right, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, we'll come back, and I want to tell you just about a few more guys today, three more guys today, that are very important to understanding the cultural moment that we're in right now. And as I get into these last three, um, is really going to start to take shape of what we see going on in our world today. Why, yes, it looks like everything just changed, but society is just building upon ideas that have been introduced and permeated, permeated society over the past hundred years and are really just now coming to fruition. So three more guys today. The next one I want to talk about is Alfred Kinsey. One of the most influential thinkers on modern sexual theory in history even though he was only alive about 100 years ago. If you look at Wikipedia, he was an American biologist, professor of entomology and zoology, and a sexologist. In 1947, he founded the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University. It's now known as the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction. Best known for writing a book called Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, as well as Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, also known as the Kinsey Reports. He developed something called the Kinsey Scale, did a lot of research on human sexuality, a lot of depraved, disgusting, <laughs> a lot of nonsense that we're going to talk about today, too. Nobody, though, 
denies the influence of Alfred Kinsey, that he was a very influential thinker to modern thoughts about this stuff. Most people don't realize what a sexual deviant this guy was. The things that he did to his own body, I'm sure by now you don't have any children listening along with you on the podcast, and I, I wouldn't say it anyway. The stuff he did to his own body is too horrifying to even talk about on this podcast. You could look it up if you want to. Is too squeamish. He believed, let me just tell you what he did believe, that sexuality was fluid. That's a very popular modern idea too. Although it's now morphed into something called gender fluidity. But he believed sexuality was fluid. He developed the modern idea of sexual orientation. And he included in his definition of sexual orientation things like attraction to animals, what we call bestiality. But to him, he just considered it a totally normal, um, totally legitimate sexual orientation. He thought that 50% of the male population was gay. He thought that 10% were sexually attracted to animals. And he arrived at these conclusions by interviewing almost entirely men who were in the prison Pop, uh, the prison population or talking to male prostitutes. He he just interviewed them and then he applied that to all of society and said, well, these men are representative of all of society. And so he made sweeping conclusions about the population at large, totally exaggerated the amount of actual homosexuals and I don't know what you call people who <laughs> want to engage in bestiality, but um, he, he totally exaggerated their numbers by only interviewing people in prisons and and streetwalkers. And so in modern times, um, textbooks and psychology books, they're going to quote statistics from Kinsey and from his research, but they're not going to tell you that about all of his research came from sex offenders who were in prison and that people use these statistics as supposedly representative of the entire population of society. He was also one of these people who was intent on proving that children were sexual from birth. And he based that idea on, I'm uh, sorry, I'm not going to be graphic here, but he talked, he, he interviewed a pedophile, just talk, just, just one guy. He talked to one single pedophile who described his interactions with children who were as young as babies. And then th- according to the pedophile, the children enjoyed what happened. And so Kinsey made the declaration, children are sexual from birth. Instead of, you know, reporting this pedophile to the police, he used him for as research, as a research subject. And today, they make movies about Kinsey. He's celebrated as someone who prepared society for the sexual revolution of the 60s. He's considered a gay civil rights icon. Kinsey himself was not openly homosexual, but he's considered instrumental in overturning what were the classic or conservative or biblical opinions on sexuality. Um up until the past few decades. And so he opened up the world to the idea that homosexuality was extremely common and normal, even though his own numbers were, as I said, wildly overestimated. Okay, a couple more guys I want to tell you about. One of them is Herbert Marcuse. He died in 1979. And again, as, as I talk about these guys, every one of these thinkers is building on the information that came before them. So we started with Rousseau back in the 1700s, and every big influential philosopher or thinker who came after them took what the previous people believed and built on these foundations, built on these premises, okay? Or took a few of them and tied them all together. So we see how our modern ideas come from 
these past generations and, and how they've been constructed. So another person who did that was Herbert Marcuse. And he applied the oppressor-oppressed class distinction that Marx had introduced to politics. He said categories like sexual deviant, those are just tools of oppression. He said we shouldn't be judging other people for their sexual choices. He said the education system should be used to set kids free from all of these repressive beliefs about sexuality. Marcuse was against free speech. He said it causes oppression of the marginalized. <laughs> free, free speech causes oppression is what he said. <laughs> it should be outlawed. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Basically, this is what he means by that. If people are allowed to say that homosexuality is a sin, then that's too oppressive. That shouldn't be allowed. You don't want to use somebody's preferred pronouns, he might say today. That's that's oppressive. It should not be allowed. You should be forced to use someone's preferred pronouns. Okay? Marcuse was very political. He didn't think verbal harm should be allowed to be inflicted on anything, anybody who is a marginalized class, especially the sexually marginalized classes. He said we shouldn't be allowed to speak against them. Marcuse was associated with the Frankfurt School in Germany. One thing I've noticed, anytime you hear of anything coming from the Frankfurt School in Germany, it's a terrible idea, okay? I just keep seeing that come up in my research. It's somewhere in the background a lot. If you ever see it cited somewhere, avoid it like the plague, okay? And I mean that quite literally. It's a plague on intellectual thinking. Here's one more person I would like to inform you about today, and I think this is the most important one of all. John Money, 1921 to 2006. That was his lifespan. So he died in 2006. He just died, what, whatever, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Okay? Not that, man, I'm getting old. 2006 was 17 years ago. <laughs> I don't like that. Okay, back on point here. John Money, all right, didn't live that long ago. I'll read you from what his Wikipedia entry tells about him. John William Money was a New Zealand psychologist, a sexologist, and author known for his research into sexual identity and the biology of gender. He was controversial for his conduct towards vulnerable patients, including endorsing conversion therapy aimed at young children. He was one of the first researchers to publish theories on the influence of societal constructs of gender on individual formation of gender identity. Money, here's what's key here. Money introduced the term gender identity, okay? John Money is the father of gender identity, all right? He used this as a psychological category. I think he also is, is known for coming up with the term sexual orientation. Freud had a concept of this, but Money gave it the name, sexual orientation, okay? So John Money is the guy who came along and separated the word sex from the word gender. And what I mean by that is that in the past, historically, we have used the words sex and gender interchangeably. You know, we'd say, what's your sex or what's your gender? We all knew that it meant the same thing, no matter which word you used. If you were a male sex, you were a male gender. If you were the female sex, you were the female gender. It always went together. These were synonyms, right? But John Money comes along and he decides, or he comes up with the theory, that these could be two separate things. That your sex might be what you biologically are, but your gender might be something else. You might be born a man and be a, in a biological man's body, but you might feel like a woman. So that would be your gender. So he separated the terms sex and gender, all right? 
His effect on modern sexual psychology is pretty clear. <laughs> He's the most direct and has a clear impact on modern gender theory, as well as politics and cultural thought. You've probably never heard of John Money, and yet this is the guy who came up with these ideas that have totally taken hold in society today. He created the idea that sex and gender are two different things, so he's basically like the god king of transgenderism. And yet, there are no statues to this man. He wasn't eulogized when he died as groundbreaking and, or a revolutionary thinker. I mean, he kind of was, but he doesn't get a very large mainstream acknowledgement, okay? You can look him up. His history is very, it's not hidden. It's very open and clear. He's credited with many awards. He's got many degrees and academic honors. And yet you don't hear John Money's name cited a whole lot, even though he introduced all these ideas that people follow today. Now, why is that? Why have you probably never heard of John Money before this podcast? Well, let's read the next line of his Wikipedia article. Recent academic studies have criticized Money's work in many respects, particularly in regard to his involvement with the involuntary sex reassignment of the child Bruce David Rymar, forcing this child and his brother to simulate sex acts which Money photographed. So let me tell you this history. David Reimer was one of two twin boys who was born in 1965. Shortly after birth, there was a tragic accident where David's genitals were horribly mutilated. And so I don't, I don't, I won't go into the details, um, but there is a tragic accident. Okay. And, and so it, Dr. John Money didn't have anything to do with that accident, but he comes along, he's a psychologist and he has these ideas about sex and gender. He's this weirdo. And so he gets, he gets in touch with this family and he recommends to David's parents that they just raise David as a girl. Just tell him he's a girl, treat him as a girl, dress him in dresses, you know, basically instead of having two twin boys, just raise this baby that one is a, one is a girl and the, the twin brother who was not harmed or anything, he's just a boy, and just raise them that way. And so Money believed that this would prove his theory that gender is not something innate, but that it is something socially conditioned. So basically, if you raised a little boy who's biologically a boy, raised him as a girl, he would just think he's a girl and never question it. So th this, is, this was a golden opportunity for Dr. John Money to prove his theory that gender is a social construct, that the expectations and beliefs about what it is to be a male or a female, that those are thrusted upon us by society. But if we wanted to, we could just construct our own definitions of what those terms mean. Not only that, like I said, Bruce was one of two twin boys. Money had a golden opportunity here. He had two boys, basically the same DNA or same genetic, you know, they're twins, all right, identical twins. And basically, he just has the perfect opportunity to test this theory because it's almost like you have two copies of the same person. You could just raise one as a boy, one as a girl, and see what happens, okay? So Bruce was renamed Brenda, and he was raised to believe that he was a female, Money would regularly visit the children. These visits eventually turned into Money um, sexually abusing the children and, and taking naked photographs of them and stuff like that. So Money was a total lunatic, deranged psycho, sexually abused these children. And for, also, it says this on Wikipedia. When either child resisted these activities, Money would get angry. Both Reimar and his brother, Brian, 
recall that money was mild-mannered around their parents, but ill-tempered when alone with them. When they resisted inspecting each other's genitals, money got very aggressive. Reimer says, he told me to take my clothes off, and I just did not do it. I just stood there, and he would scream, now. I thought he was going to give me a whooping. I took my clothes off and stood there shaking. Money, for his rationale for these treatments, he believed that childhood sexual rehearsal play, that it's important so that we grow up with a healthy adult gender identity. Okay? So you're not going to be surprised to hear this next part. Money was an apologist for pedophilia. He believed there was nothing wrong with sexual relationships between adults and children. He said as long as both of them can consent, basically meaning both of them are okay with that arrangement, he believed children could just consent to it. He didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Eventually, Bruce Reimer became old enough to understand the distinction between male and female. And he came to the realization that he was a male, regardless of how he'd been raised as a female, regardless of being injected with estrogen as a kid, and in the entire social conditioning of being raised a female. He came to a realization that he was actually a male. Sadly, Bruce and his twin brother, Brian, they were both severely traumatized by these psychological sessions with John Money. One of them died of a drug overdose. The other killed himself. One at age 36, the other at age 38. And so Dr. John Money's entire theory of there being a difference in sex and gender, he had a golden opportunity, like I said. His entire theory was demolished by this scenario. He could have proved it. He could have proved everything he wanted to prove with all this stuff, that gender is just a social construct. He had literal twin boys he could use as his test subjects. He was legally allowed to do this, step into this tragic situation, and to use them as his guinea pigs. And his entire theory backfired. Once Bruce grew up old enough to tell the difference in male and female, he realized he had been living a lie. So, here's what I want you to remember. Anytime you hear somebody say that sex and gender are separate categories, that somebody could be one biological sex but identify as a different gender, when they say that, they are following the philosophy and theories of John Money, who was a pedophile and a psychotic lunatic. He preyed on children against their will, and his own theories were disproven by his own experiments, okay? But yet this is the man that if you look at our current presidential administration, when they put out their official policy on transgender issues and, tra- and sexual reassignment surgeries and say that they're even appropriate for kids, they are just following what John Money said. The, ex- the exact same practices that led Bruce Reimer to commit suicide as an adult because of what John Money did to him. And now people all over our country are using that to justify what they're doing to kids and what they're allowing doctors to do to kids in America today. All this comes from John Money and the ideas that he was building on from people before him. So, Let's briefly recap today. I'm just about done. I'm going to close down here in a minute. I've been talking a lot. I hope you learned something. I know it was kind of an information dump, but we were looking at history and we were seeing where these evil ideas about transgenderism and the LGBT movement, where they have come from 
and how we got to where we are in society today. And why we are totally justified, even if, you know, even if we didn't believe the Bible, guys, that we could look at what happened with John Money and what kind of people that, that there were who put these ideas out there. We could reject them based on what kind of men these people were, these sexual deviants who are now trying to tell us how we live our lives today and who society is saying that we should follow. These were pedophiles, pedophile apologists, lunatics who died in insane asylums. Let's 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 review some of the ideas we've been presented with from them, okay? You'll you see how all these ideas have tied together and they provide the basis for the common worldviews that progressives hold today. The idea, let's go back to Rousseau, that man is inherently good. This is very foundational. Cuz not only is it different from what mankind historically thought about the human heart, it also means that whatever we feel deep down inside must be right and true and good. Whereas the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can trust it? Rousseau said, follow your heart. Because your heart, who you are deep down in your core, that's inherently good. The idea that God is not necessary to understand the world. Because you could just believe lightning struck upon somewhere and life evolved from there, and God is no longer a necessary part of the equation. You can believe in God if you want, but you don't have to. Because he's been basically taken out of the equation. So, if there's no God... What's our purpose? Well, our highest purpose is to achieve happiness. And don't forget, you can't be happy if you weren't sexually happy because humans are sexual beings. In fact, humans are sexual beings from birth. By the way, the nuclear family should be destroyed because it's oppressive, it's psychologically harmful. And by the way, your sexual desires, they're inherently good. And other people should affirm them. If they don't want to affirm your sexual desires... Well, they just have an irrational fear. It's based on taste, not on moral principles. And then finally, we get to where basically where we are today, that sex and gender are separate categories and that your gender can be detached from biology. Not only that, gender trumps biology. Your psychological sense of yourself is more important than biological reality because your psychological happiness is based on the highest purpose in life, to be happy because you're good. So that's a lot of info that I've dumped on you today. Here's what you need to remember. Remember what 2 Peter 2 says. When we want to analyze someone's ideas, look at their lifestyle. You can reject their whole worldview as junk if it's a person who's living a debased, disgusting lifestyle. 2 Peter warns us that false teachers are driven by their passions and their sensual desires that describes these people to a T. These people are pedophiles or they're pedophile apologists. They're suicidal, perhaps even demon-possessed. You know, some people might want to say, oh, Karl Marx, he's got some interesting economic ideas. Okay, but the man was a lunatic who never worked a day in his life, whose family said he was insane and demon-possessed. No Christian should be following his economic theories and saying, well, you know, but maybe he made some good ideas about, some good points about socialism. No. No Christian should be a socialist or a communist. No Christian should follow Alfred Kinsey. No Christian should follow Sigmund Freud. Those men will destroy our foundations. And if the foundations be destroyed, we'll have nothing left. And that's what's contributing to the current cultural rut that we're experiencing right now. This movement 
is destroying America and perhaps Western civilization as a whole. If you don't believe me, come back next time. We'll talk about transgenderism, the downfall of our society, right here on the Cross References Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,